Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Well, today, my friends, we're going to the mailbag, and it is full. So a lot of things we want to cover, but before we start, I want to share a story with you. Last night, I was out to eat with my wife, and um, we normally, when we go out to eat, sit at the bar where we can get served quickly, watch the TVs, the sports events, like we are watching the basketball game and the baseball game last night, and also because we get to meet people. And as we were sitting there last night, gentleman next to me recognized me and started up a conversation, says, are you Del Wamsley? I said, yes. He said, well, I'm a preferred member over at Lifestyles Unlimited. And I said, well, that's great. And we got to know each other and he introduced his wife and I introduced my wife and we started the conversation up. And I asked him, you know, you know, what have you bought into so far? And he says, well, I've had two rent houses and 13 different apartment complexes I'm in. And it was amazing, but his wife looked at him like, what? And she goes, I had no idea we're in 13 different deals. He goes, yeah. She goes, I thought it was something like three or something. And yeah, I don't, and it, what struck me about it was is, is that my wife then tried to speak to the woman and uh, get her interested in real estate investing. She goes, well, I'm, I really let him do whatever he wants to do. I don't really care. I'm not even interested in it. And so she goes, well, you should come to the classes. That's my wife saying, you should come to the classes and, and find out about it and be more, you know, see more about what it's about. And she goes, nah, I really don't care. I've got my own things to do. I'll just leave it all up to him. And, uh, and she went so far as to say, yeah, I remember when he bought his first rent house, I went in there and cleaned the bathroom. And, and I knew that I was cleaning it perfectly and that the tenant was going to leave it terrible. And he said, and then he wasn't even satisfied. And he goes, honey, I walked in there and told you, look, you need to clean the entire house, not one bathroom. And she was doing it way too meticulously for a rent house, obviously. But whatever, that was the end of her being interested in the whole thing because she had turned it into a job. And uh, he had done that in the beginning, too, did some fixing and repairs, I think some cleaning, whatever. And they gave that up real quick. And like I said, bought two rent houses and said, no, nah, that's not for us. 
because they were doing it wrong in that doing the work themselves. Then he went on to buy into passive investments and got into these apartment complexes this time around, sold the houses, made tons of money, and 1031 that into these uh, apartment complexes. Or if he didn't 1031, he just moved it in. I'm not sure. So the bottom line is what I wanted to share with you today was is that I went back and spoke with my wife about this. She didn't understand how this woman could live with this man and not know what's going on. And I said, it's just the way different families work. Some families, the wife runs everything. Some families, the husband runs everything, as far as the finances go, by the way. And uh, some families, they share like we share, because I'm a sharing kind of person. And when I first met my wife, we were just dating. And it looked like it was long-term and it was serious and we we're going to be together. In fact, we we're living together. Uh, I took not only her, but her kids with me to see my CPA to do my tax return. So they could see the millions of dollars a year that I was making. So they could see the taxes I would have been paying and see that I wasn't paying the taxes because of the real estate I owned. And the secondary benefit was I had them ask the CPA, you know, whatever questions they could. And they said, well, what was he like when you first met him? He said, he was just buying a couple of rent houses. And he, you know, he walked them through this whole thing of me going from being just a beginner investor all the way through to now one of his richest clientele. And uh, by the way, in his clientele is Phil Tillman Fratita. So I'm in with a pretty good group of people there, right? Not that I'm anywhere near Tillman, but it was just the fact that, you know, he's got some pretty high-end clientele. And so um, as we went through this, and I, I was teaching her kids about money, at a very early age, I wanted them to understand money. Now, where I'm going with this is this. I think that even if you have a family where one person controls all the finances and money is not a big deal in your family, I really believe two points should be clear. Number one, I think you should tell your wife or your husband where all the money is and what you own. Heaven forbid you get killed in a car accident and they don't know where your assets are. I saw another lady who had a husband who owned uh, multi-mega millions of dollars of real estate. Don't know how many millions it was. And he died. And she took ownership of this real estate. And although she'd been around and understood what it was and knew they owned it, at least... She had no idea how to operate, and they had no plan for operation after he was gone. And she just made a total, total mess of it all. And we got people in there that were their friends that were involved in lifestyles that were involved in real estate, and they helped them work it all out and get it, get it, get it out of her name because she really didn't know what she was doing with it. So the same thing is here. If this lady doesn't know what's going on, she should at least know what they owned. And what would you do in case he was gone? and you had to take this over, what is the plan? Who could step up and help you either liquidate this real estate or operate this real estate, so on and so forth? Um, I think you need that with your spouse. You need to have some kind of a plan. Secondly, you need to, I think, educate your children. And a lot of people don't like this. I know when I grew up with my parents and my parents' parents, my grandparents, it was, you know, kids are to be seen and not heard. And um, you would never reveal to your family how much money you have. You wouldn't tell your parents. You wouldn't tell your kids. You'd barely tell your spouse. Um, 
it's just something you just wouldn't talk about. And in this day and age, we talk about it. We talk about it all the time. We come to lifestyles and the kids understand where their parents, I mean, I'm not saying all people, don't get me wrong, but, but the ones that want, the ones that are saying, wow, I see the benefit. If I could teach my kids to know what I know now, and I'm now for the first time in my life making millions, for the first time in my life, I'm making thousands, hundreds of thousands. For the first time in my life, I'm making tens of thousands of dollars. I never knew how to do that. I only knew how to get up and go to work to a job. And now I understand it. Well, the next logical thing is, by gosh, I want my kids to understand this. I want them to understand it at an early enough age that they can make some decisions. And it's interesting how kids have to make the decisions. They go like, okay, everything I've been told my whole life is go to college. And now you're saying everything you're making money from, you didn't go to college for at all. You have no idea. Everything that you did to get you a job in college, and by the way, in this day and age, most people, if you interviewed them, I'm sure going to say 75% of them don't use what they learned in college as far as what their degree was in and is that the field they're in, at least 75. I've heard as high as 90, uh, but I'm just spouting off numbers. The reality is, is that very few people actually end up working at what they went to college for. So when kids then see that all the money that their parents is making is from non-college orientated type activities, boy, sometimes kids are smart enough to see that, you know, maybe, maybe I need to focus a little differently. And then they take some college classes that make some sense. Like I'm going to take some finance because I want to understand how all this stuff works financially. Maybe I'm going to take some sales because I want to learn how to sell, mem- or, you know, sell, uh, leases. Maybe I want to take some management courses so I can learn how to manage my company. Then they start looking at some different college courses that make some sense, right? Um, as opposed to poly science. And I'm going to go into being a political nerd for the rest of my life and never have a job for the rest of my life, live off the government, live off the people, uh, or some other notably valuable piece of society. I don't know if I came back from that or not, but the bottom line is, is that there's a lot of stuff people go to college for that doesn't make any sense at all. And they do it and they enjoy it and they do a lot of drugs and they do a lot of partying. They sometimes meet their wife or husband, college heads his place, whatever that is. Today, it's all about being socialized into being a liberal, a staunch liberal. Um, remember, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I don't care. But I'm just telling you where your money's being spent and what it's getting you. So let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back. I'm going to talk about some other topics that are coming out of the mailbag today. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Retiring America, one person at a time. This is the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Now, more unconventional wisdom from your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Uh, today we're in the mailbag, and um, this first article we're covering here is sent to me from a syndicator, one of our syndicators, the lead investor. And as a syndicator and a lead investor, they have interest in keeping everybody, uh, I'm trying to work for it, um, happy in their investments that they already have with them and also wanting to stimulate them to be interested in investing in future deals. So they have a bias in this argument, right? And uh, so they sent me this or this person sent me this article because of his bias. He wanted to make it relevant that real estate investing is still a good thing, even though there's this recession coming, even though they're raising the interest rates and making interest uh, higher and higher and higher, which in logical order, right, naturally, if the interest rates keep going up, the prices have to go down to some extent. And that we're not calling a crash here. We're just talking about a correction. They have to go down to some extent because if your cap rate is only a four, and your interest rate is a five, you can't pay your mortgage. And tomorrow we're going to talk about something called negative mortgage or negative interest. Um, I'm sorry, that's not the word for it. It's negative leverage. That's the word for it. I'm sorry. And negative arbitrage is the secondary way of saying it. But the bottom line is where you actually got a payment that's larger than what the property is making money to cover. And you say, why would anybody buy any real estate that way? Well, I'll tell you why tomorrow. We'll go into it. But today, I just wanted you to get an idea that this was sent by somebody that's pro real estate, right? And so the article is out of Bloomberg's USAA Real Estate, um, I don't know, online type magazine or whatever it is. And it reads, real estate as an effective inflation hedge, the golden goose. And I quote, in addition to risk, return, and diversification benefits, risk, return benefits, less risk, higher return, and diversification, ah, not all your money in the same place benefits, that direct real estate provides to comprehensive portfolio, it can also offer investors a hedge against inflation. Functionally, real estate provides a hedge against inflation because rental and lease payments vary 
oh, lease payments are adjusted regularly for inflation. Now, then he goes in, there was a variable by property type and associational structures and so on. But but basically what the sentence says, if you take out all that variable stuff, is fundamentally real estate provides a hedge against inflation because rental and lease payments are adjusted regularly for inflation. Additionally, price appreciation can occur as a result of the capital rotation out of stocks and bonds and into direct real estate in times of inflation. Okay, so in other words, what he's saying is the first way it beats inflation is because as everything gets more expensive, so do our rent payments, lease payments. And so as they go up, the value of the property, commercial property anyway, not home residential property, but home commercial property goes up. Same thing with home properties, though, as everything goes up, inflation, house prices go up also. And we see that happening across the board. It then goes on and says, but in addition to that, in addition to the normal anti-inflationary situation, the very fact that people are getting out of the stock market, which is crashing right now. And I saw another 600 points, 700 points go down yesterday. Uh, it's about two or 300 points out of the blocks down today, early in the morning. And as I see these things, people are fleeing from the stock market and the bond market getting into real estate. Hence, as they do that, they're propping up the value of real estate. So here we go. Everything in this article is yay, yay, real estate during inflationary times. I have to say, my opinion is, I agree. Um, and I say to you, look, I own a lot of real estate. I sleep very well at night. I don't care if, if tomorrow the values went down at all or, or if they don't. If they go down a little, I'm going to buy more real estate to get a better price. Now, why is buying at a little bit lower price a good thing? Well, if you'd ask the people that sent me this article, or if you ask anybody that is a um, syndicator, they go, it doesn't. Getting a lower price doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a more profitable deal. And on the surface, that is true. How so? Well, think about it this way. If you can buy that property and pay 2% interest and you have a 4% cap rate, you've got an arbitrage of 2%. There's a 2% differentiation that you're making 2% profit on the money. Now, if you lower the price and interest rate stayed the same, which isn't what's going to happen, then you would get a better deal. But that's not what happens. What happens is we've raised the price to get interest rates to go down. Now interest rates are going up. And as interest rates, I'm sorry, they lowered interest rate to make the price go up. Now they're raising interest rates, which will in turn make the price go down. But in the end, when you have a, a 6% cap rate instead of a 4% cap rate, but you have a 5% interest rate on the mortgage, you've only got a 1% arbitrage. So you literally have a better cash flow at the lower end. Here's where the difference comes in. When the properties become more and more and more expensive, the mortgage company is requiring a larger and larger and larger down payment. That's the part that's not in this. Is the part that the person that sent me this doesn't want to admit. 
back when we could get 80 and 90% financing, didn't matter the interest rates were 6%. We only had a very small amount of money in there. So whatever profit we made was massive relative to how much money we have in. Now the people are being forced to put in 35, 40, 45, and up to 50% down. Whatever the arbitrage is between the difference, it's not as big. So with these interest rates going up, you may not have a better cash flow situation. What we're hoping for, on the other hand, is that you'll have a smaller down payment situation, that it will go down simply because the prices go down. And in the long run, when you get ready to sell it, you have a lower basis, which means more profit at the point where you start to sell. So you got to keep these kinds of things in mind that it is, since we're buying the same box, but at a lower price, we really are doing better in the long run. In the short run, just like this gentleman's making the point, it may not be better because of the cash flow. Take a short break. Be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're going through the mailbag, and uh, we had started an article in the last segment, and I'm going to go a little bit further on the article in this segment. Uh, it's out of uh, USAA something magazine, whatever. But uh, it basically said, listed REITs are direct core real estate, which is the best. And I quote to you, uh, in addition to finite time period presented, leading economic research has shown that listed REITs provide suboptimal protection from general inflation for investors. Much like stocks and listed, much like stocks, listed REITs have historically failed uh, to offer effective protection from inflation. And an analysis of their Dividend yields and inflation rates also show negative correlation. So what is a REIT? REIT is real estate-owned trust. It's where they buy real estate into a giant trust, into a giant company, and then they take it public and they sell shares in it. So really, it becomes a stock on the stock market. That's what it basically is. It's not listed as stocks, it's listed as a REIT. Uh, but People can buy shares in and out of this thing. Well, once you have that ability for people to buy shares in and out of the thing, uh, in and out of the ownership of this company, um, you start to run into the problems that all stocks and bonds have with open trading ownership. And I'm going to read what it says as we go on here. As investors adjusted their expectations due to rising price levels and and resulting possibility of a deteriorating macroeconomic environment. God, how do they use such big words in one sentence? Goes on and says, the actual returns of listed REITs become adversely affected. On the contrary... Empirical evidence shows that directly owned real estate has provided an effective head against expected real estate inflation and at least a partial hedge against unexpected inflation. Another important threat to maintaining a portfolio purchasing power 
uh, but for the sake of brevity, won't be discussed here. Says so. What is another important threat is maintaining a portfolio's purchasing power. Okay, so it it, it retains its liquidity, it retains its value, it doesn't go up and down, up and down, up and down. So the bottom line is, is that what they're saying is, is that REITs pretty much perform like stocks and bonds, and when there's massive um, amount of inflation they start to lose value. So, slow enough again. More reasons why people should be in personally owned real estate during inflation. All right, the next one's interesting. Somebody sent me this article. It says, in recent study concluded by Monifi, Monifi, I have no idea. Uh, the report found that 48% of people could not afford over a $450 emergency expense. This study pulled 1,000 Americans from across the country pertaining to savings and spending. Specific questions. This particular percentage is telling of the current state of the financial fragility that many Americans are facing. All right, I have to call hooey pooey on this. Right now, there's more savings. Americans have more savings than they've ever had in history. It's one of the reasons why people during this recession, well, during this inflation, have continued to buy. You would think with inflation, you would think with, you know, it would start to squeeze people's ability to buy off and people would stop buying, yet we still have consumers uh, that are buying massive amounts of stuff. The economy's still hanging in there. How long will it take to wipe that out? Wipe out all those savings? Because remember, during COVID, people did nothing. They spent nothing. They stayed home. They didn't travel. I went out to eat with a, a, a liberal the other day. And it's always interesting to go out with a liberal because they have completely different points of views than conservatives. And most of the people in our membership are conservatives. Now, I'm not either. Uh, well, I am both because I'm a financial conservative and a social liberal. Okay. But... When you look at this situation, financially, you you speak to these liberals, they don't believe anything's wrong. They believe this is the best economy they've ever had, that the Democrats are just doing it all right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, They can't see it because they don't feel it. They have lots of money. They say, well, Democrats don't have money. Yes, Democratic Party is run by wealthy, wealthy people, whether you realize it or not. They bring along and get all the poor people to vote for them by giving away government money, which is whose money, not their money, our money. And so remember, if you can vote yourself in to give away other people's money, people are going to vote for you all the time. But back to the article here. The article is basically saying, look, the average person can't afford more than a $450 cost. A pop-up cost would wipe them out. Well, Let's talk about average. What is the average person's income a year? I think it's somewhere around seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. What is the median, meaning half of the people are below it, half the people are above it? I think that's up to about fifty thousand a year now. I'm not sure. But the point is, and really the reason I went to talking about the liberals is that all he could talk about, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna travel there, I got this he called it bucket list, I'm gonna do this and I wanna do that, and I'm buying this and I'm buying that and I'm buying this car. And it was an entire evening of hearing what he's going to buy and where he's going to travel and how he's gonna spend money. And my wife looked at me and said, Well, you know, why don't you talk? I go, 
I got nothing to talk about in this environment. I'm not spending any money. Everything my conversation would be is like, I'm buying another business. I'm buying another this. I'm doing another that. You know, it's all about making money. It's not all about spending money. Now, I do spend money, but it's not my bucket list. It's not my my lifelong driven desire. So where am I going with this? I live way below my means. That's the difference between a financial conservative and a financial liberal. Okay? These guys live above their means. Uh, most of them do. So the question is this. How do you get to the point where you can't afford $450? By living at your paycheck level. In other words, you're getting by. You're paying your bills. You seem like you're a normal person if you're that person. In fact, all the people that are in the 50% and below median income feel like they're the average person, that they're the real people of this country. And they are, majority-wise. Yet they are working from paycheck to paycheck, getting up every day and running on that little mousetrap thing, you know, the little wheel. Or they're going in their cubicle, what I call cubicle prison, and sitting in their cubicle prison spot because that's what you do when you're in that kind of income. So what do I think about this article? I think that a lot of people should learn how to create passive streams of income because I've seen people. Now think about this for a second. Let's talk about the lower socioeconomic bracket. Somebody comes in there in the lower socioeconomic bracket, you'd say it'd be very hard for them to replace their income. No, it'd be very easy. They don't have very much income. I had a guy come in one time. It's a perfect story. He said, I need $1,000 a month. That's what it was, something like that. And I said, okay, are you sure? He said, well, maybe, you know, $1,500 a month. I said, okay, that's all you need. He goes, no, I work over here in the refinery. Um, I live in a little house. I have a boat, and the house is paid for. I think the family, you know, came down through the family. The boat's what I do for my hobby. All I want to do is fish and relax or whatever. And if I can replace $1,500 a month, I can or can't get up and go to work when they call me in. So in other words, I don't have to. And so we bought him, get this, three rent houses to make $500 a month each, $1,500 a month. He was done. He goes, thanks, I'm done. Now, I don't know if he ever went back and worked another shutdown in the refinery again because, you know, they make good money when they do that. And that's really the way he was surviving. He worked these shutdowns and they'd pay like overtime or time and a half or whatever, double time sometimes. And he'd go in there and work these shutdowns, make a lot of money, and then not work, right, and, and fish. And so he had this laid-back kind of attitude. He didn't really care. But it was very easy to replace his income. Now, if you go up from $1,500 a month to $2,000 to $4,000 a month, I made like $3,600 a month take-home pay. I made $60,000, $70,000 a year, which was only like $3,500 a month take-home. Very easy for me to replace my income and retire because my income was so low. So don't get this wrong, guys. People at the bottom, it may seem like it's harder for you because you don't have a lot of money to invest. I get that. But just a few investments, just a few deals will make a major change in your life. And that, my friend, is why no matter what socioeconomic bracket you're at, you need to look into passive streams of income. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. 
where the hype ends and the help begins. Got a question? Call 855-497-4DELL. That's 855-497-4335. Or email Dell at askdell at luinc.com. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're in the mailbag, and uh, the next one comes up with a question that asks personally about myself. It says, thank you for saying a home is a consumption item. I told my family members that me renting is a lifestyle choice. I don't want to cut grass and shovel snow. Uh, interesting point. He, he's pointing out the fact that for him, living in an apartment complex uh, is a better choice. Because the amenities take care of themselves. You don't have to take care of them. And people don't look at it that way because they look at owning their own piece of real estate as a investment. And like their rent is wasting money where paying a mortgage is actually, you know, saving money. And there's some truth to that. There really is. But I'll tell you, you'd be way better off to live in an apartment complex and buy your a rent house and make rental income from it instead of living in it. So how do you break this down? The way to really look at this is that I consider living in a home that I'm, that I, any home I'm living in and I'm buying as consumption, whether I'm living there renting it, which case it's costing me a thousand to three thousand bucks a month or five thousand bucks a month, whatever kind of size house you live in, uh, living in my home would probably be about ten thousand bucks a month. Uh, would be consumption. and But since you own it, you're thinking, oh, it's an investment. No, it is an asset, but you are consuming the $10,000, $5,000, $3,000, $2,000, or $1,000 a month that it would have earned in rental income. And because you're living there, it's not earning that. So you are consuming that. You are wasting. Wasting is a term not meaning that it was a wasted thing. It's a term and wasting away type consideration. It's going away. You'll never see it again. You'll never see that income that was lost because you consumed that income. And once you understand that, then you understand the home is probably one of the largest consumption items that you have. And so it should be considered the same way that you consider cars and clothes and travel and so forth. Can I afford it or can I not afford it? And most people don't do that. Most people look at homes as if I want it. Our family needs a big house. And we've been told, and this is something we were told when I was growing up, I quite sure my parents were told this. I don't know if anybody these days are being told this, but your home is going to be your largest investment of your whole whole life. You go buy the largest house you can possibly buy and make payments on it. So by the time you've paid 30 years from age 20 to age 50, you've paid it off. And now you have this big giant asset that's hopefully appreciated during that whole time. That was the theory. The only problem with that is you probably lost two or three million dollars worth of investable income during that period of time by having all of your assets tied up in that house. So it's not really a good idea. Now, having said that, people ask me all the time, well, Dale, how do you decide what house you'll live in? So I'll tell you the history of my houses. The first home I bought was a condo, and it was a mistake. I paid way too much for it. I paid $40,000 for it. Payment was $400, $450 a month. And 
I paid forty grand for it, and ten years later, after having as a rental property that I lost a hundred dollars a month on for. 10, 12, 15 years, I don't remember how many years it was, I finally sold it and said, look, I'm never going to get my money back out of this. I sold it for $26,000 and lost 14000 bucks. Worst purchase of real estate I ever made. It was before I actually had studied real estate and knew anything about it. From there, I moved into my dream home, a brand new home, builder built. And the reason I moved was because I lived in this condo and it didn't have a garage and I had my T-top stolen out of my uh, uh car and my wheels stole off my car and uh etc etc i had a zx 300 if anybody remembers what they are they were the uh anniversary edition the silver one that kind of looked like the uh the back to back to the future car pretty much almost exactly like a delorean and uh i had my t-top stolen then i had my wheels stolen and i finally said man i gotta get someplace to have a garage so i bought a home out in sugarland Paid one hundred twenty-six thousand dollars for it. At the time, I was making about seventy thousand dollars a year, so it wasn't an egregious purchase. But since then, I've made the decision I'll never purchase a home that costs more than one year's income. So I lived there, and then I wanted a larger home because I had my daughter with me, and so you know I'd got a baby and kids and so forth. And I wanted a larger home, and I found this opportunity to buy this four thousand square foot home. By the way, that was a twenty-six hundred square foot home. I found this property that was a 4,000 square foot home that was $400,000 I could buy for 200000 So I bought it out of foreclosure or before pre-foreclosure for 200000 bucks. And at the time I was making $200,000. It was an incredible purchase. I loved it. I lived there for the longest time. And then one day I decided that, hey, I'm going to go out and start spending money. I'm making too much money now. I need to spend money. So I tried buying a motorhome. Couldn't find any way to enjoy that. Tried buying uh, boats. Couldn't find any way to enjoy that. In both those situations, I found that you were spending most of your time storing it, cleaning it, putting gas in it, loading it to go somewhere, unloading it when you got back. It just wasn't fun for me, either of those things. Plus, if you've ever hung out with people that have big boats like yachts or people that have RVs, they're old. And at the time, I wasn't old. And I didn't want to go and sit around and talk to people that were in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, it just wasn't that entertaining for me. So I made this great decision. I bought a very expensive home, a million-dollar home, by the Galleria. So I was at the dating age. I was at the young age. I was going to bars every night and moving right into the Galleria. For those of you who don't know Houston, that is the hot spot of town where all the bars and restaurants and everything are. And I moved into the Galleria in this million-dollar home. And where I was five blocks from everything. Greatest time of my life. Great home. 5,000 square feet. I only used about a thousand of it. Had a swimming pool. It was, you know, it was wonderful. Got girlfriend. She moved in and then she got this idea that, you know, I don't want to live anywhere where you've had other girls living. So we got to buy something else. And she took me out and found, I said, I'm not leaving. I love this. I love the location. I love the size. I love everything about it until she found me this home. Out in the country. 16,000 square foot, 20 car garage, and there it was. I bought it for 50 cents on the dollar, and now I live in a, out in the country. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.